Well, good morning. Welcome on this uh, Memorial Day weekend. Uh, as you can tell, Joe's out of town. John's out of town. You got me. So, <laughs> so we do want to remember uh, what this weekend is about, what we celebrate tomorrow, those that uh, paid the ultimate sacrifice uh, for our freedom, uh, for our country. And so tomorrow as we uh, celebrate, as we um, have cookouts and all the, the good things that come along with Memorial Day, let us keep that uh, at, the, at the forefront uh, of our mind. Uh, during his days as president, Thomas Jefferson and a group of uh, companions were traveling across the country, of course, on horseback, and they came to this uh, area where the, a recent downpour had flooded the rivers and had washed out the bridge, and so they had to find a, a way to, to get across, and they found a place that looked a little more shallow than others, and a couple uh, jumped in with their horses and started uh, ferrying across, and uh, of course it was a, a dangerous uh, situation, and so one of the uh, people there wasn't with their group, just kind of stood back for a minute and, and watched, and after several people had made it through, he asked President Jefferson if he could go across with him on the back of his horse, and without hesitation, uh, President Jefferson said, yeah, come on, and, and uh, put him on his horse, and they ferried across and made it to the other side. Upon reaching the other side, some of the members of Jefferson's group asked, why did you choose the President of the United States to forge you across this river? Well, this man was astonished. He had no idea that the person that he was riding with was President Jefferson. He said, I simply just looked at the faces of the people that were getting ready to cross, and on some faces were written no, and on some faces were written yes, and his was a yes face. And that's the reason that he had picked him. This morning, as we continue in Hebrews, Hebrews is asking the, the question that we're going to look at, uh, asking that question this morning. Who will we go to? Who will we go to? Will we go to Jesus? Or will we put our hope in other things, in lesser things? And so turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 13, and we're going to read verses 8 through 16. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. And the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus has also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, 
let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then let us continually offer up sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now for our reading this morning, Lee, Lee read uh, verses 1 through 7. And we did that because it's been a little while since we've kind of been in the rhythm of Hebrews. Uh, the last few weeks have been a little bit out of rhythm. We had Mother's Day, then we had Senior Recognition Day. And, and then last week, Joe preached from verse 7 and verse uh, 17. And so just to kind of get us back into the, the rhythm. And then sandwiched in between, in the middle of all this, is this verse 8, which really seems out of place. I mean, in verse 1, you have, let brotherly love continue. In verse 2, you have, show hospitality to strangers. Verse 3, you have, remember those who are in prison. Verse 4, let uh, marriage be held in honor. Verse 5, keep your life free from the love of money. And then verse 7, what we looked at last week is, remember your leaders. Now, these, these things are, are things to do. Right? These are imperatives. If you are a believer, these should be the things that mark your life. And then you have verse 8, and it just kind of seems out of place. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. This is an iconic verse. Go into a bookstore, you're going to see this on coffee mugs, right? You're going to see this on paintings, and we, this, vo- this verse is, is quoted often. But what is, but what is the relationship? relationship here to the rest of this it's a it's a statement it's a it's an exclamation the book of hebrews is written to encourage believers to continue to follow christ when everything else around them is telling them to go another way and everything else is telling them to turn away to go their own way this book is written to a group of jewish Christians who are being tempted to leave Christianity and to go to a Christless faith. And the writer is giving warnings. We remember he gave us a warning in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, a warning against neglecting salvation. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by the angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression of our disobedience receives a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. And so these warnings, warnings like this, can persist all the way through the book. And then we get to Hebrews 8, or Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's an exclamation on all this, saying that Jesus does not change. 
He is constant. Everything else in our lives are in flux. Our friends will change. Our friends will let us down. Even those closest to us, our spouses, will let us down. Right? Why? Because you, you have two sinners that are married to each other. We're going to let each other down. Your church, your elders, will change. What doesn't change is Jesus. He's a constant. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying is our faith needs to be anchored to that. And again, we're getting warnings. We need to, we, he's given us things that we need to pay attention to. So in your notes, you have three things that we need to give attention to. The danger of false gospels, we need to give attention to. The superiority of the true gospel, we need to give attention to. And we need to give attention to the, the fact that we are outsiders. We're going to go through these and talk about these. The dangers of false gospel. So look at verse 9 again with me. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those de- which have not benefited those devoted to them. Do not be led away by strange and diverse teachings. Now this is application Four, verse 8. Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, do not be led away. Do not be led astray. Make Jesus that anchor, port, anchor point. Don't put faith in false gospels. And we've been studying the, the book of Jude and our, our students, and the, the whole book of Jude is written about a warning about false teachers. We don't know much about Jude. We don't know much about who Jude was writing to, but it was a body of believers and he was warning them about false teachers. And some of the things that he say that he says echo some of the things that the writer of Hebrews say says, but these people blaspheme. This is from Jude uh, verses 10 through 13. It says, but these people blaspheme, blaspheme all that they do not understand. He goes on to talk about the false teachers are, are, being, are, are shepherds that are feeding themselves. They're waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn when they should have fruit. There is no fruit. Twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. Wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. As I, as I read the report that came out uh, this week about some of the things that have been happening in our Southern Baptist uh, Convention, I thought about these verses. Because false teachers not only teach falsely with their words, but they 
teach falsely by not living those words with their lives, with their actions. I thought about shepherds feeding themselves. Wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. And what Jude is is saying here is that that judgment awaits false teachers. And the writer of Hebrews uses some of this language and says, don't be carried away by these teachings. Don't be led astray. What you need is Jesus and not what these teachers offer. What you need is Jesus and not what the ceremonial food laws of the old covenant offer. What you need is the grace of Jesus. This false gospel will lead you away from the only thing that can save you. And that is Jesus. Now two things I want you to notice what he's, when, when he says here. Uh, don't be led away by diverse and strange teachings. And the word strange in the Greek is xenos. And that's where we get the word xenophobia. Which means fear of the foreign. Meaning that this is coming from outside the church. These teachings don't originate with Jesus or, or with the teachings of Jesus' apostles. And the second thing is, is he uses it as a plural. So even the early church is faced with false teachings, multiple false teachings. Now these believers are faced with the temptation to go back to Judaism. I, I can pretty safely say I don't think there's anybody in here that is facing that as a, as a temptation, right? To, to go back, to go to Judaism. I don't think there's anybody here thinking, you know, those 600 plus laws, I think I'd just like to go back and do that and keep those and keep the food laws and the ceremonial laws. I don't think we're, we're not really faced with that temptation. Nobody's like, I'm going to trust my salvation to that. But we are faced with false gospels, right? We are faced with false idols. We're faced with false idols, things like comfort. Things like success. And a big one, the American dream. Right? These are good things. These are all good things but they are terrible saviors. But that's what we work toward. That's what we put out, dangle as the carrot. See, good things that turn into God things, little g, God things, are bad things. Now, it's impossible for us to, for anybody to stand up here and give you all the variations of false gospels and, and false teachings. But there are two things that false teachers and false idols 
attempt to do. False teachers, and you can write these down, false teachers attempt to discredit the word or they attempt to distort the word. To discredit the word or to distort the word. So discreditors of the Bible will say things like, the Bible is, is full of errors. It was written by man. It's full of, full of errors. It can't be trusted. Or they will say things like, there can't possibly be one way, only one way to heaven. Or they'll say things, uh, spirituality is, is, is big today, and so they'll say things like, well, everything is God, and God is everything. So discreditors of the word are a little bit easier to see coming because they are, they are typically coming from, from outside the church. Um, they're, they're coming from guys like Bart Ehrman, okay? You, most of you probably don't know who Bart Airman is. Yes, that his name is Airman, <laughs> which is pretty ironic. But Bart is a professor of New Testament studies at the University of North Carolina. He teaches the Bible and he's an atheist. And he at one time was a believer, um, but now is on a crusade to discredit the Bible, even though most of the things that he uh, puts out there are. Uh, are not um, are you know are not reliable, but he's what we would call an anti-evangelist. But he's the one that they always bring to the History Channel. You know, you watch things on the History Channel. He's the, he's going to be one of their experts, and uh, he his whole philosophy and his whole uh, purpose in life is to discredit the Bible. Most uh, dis- discreditors are are easier to see coming because they're coming from outside the church what's a little harder to see are those distorters and the reason they're harder to see is because they can actually look like sheep and most of what they say is good but there's a little bit of a distortion mixed in like if I had a, a bottle of water and I said, you know, this is 98% water and 2% battery acid. Only 2%. But that's, that's what distorters do. This teaching sounds good because it uses the word, but it does so in a distorted way. One of the most Obvious examples of this is the prosperity gospel. This prosperity gospel of health, wealth, and prosperity all the time. And somehow these people have missed the, the, the thought that, or the, the, the reality that all of the disciples were martyred. Right? Save Judas, who hung himself. And John, I guess, who they attempted to martyr and boil alive, but he survived, so they threw him on this island. But the prosperity gospel is making its way all over the world. 
because it's what they call easy believism. Well, while we were at, uh, together for the gospel a few weeks ago with the elders and a few other uh, men that went, went with us, we went to a dinner from Teaching Truth International, which is one of our mission partners that we support. And during the dinner, they gave us a, a presentation. And during that presentation, they, they told us that one of the hardest things that it, there is to combat on the mission field is the prosperity gospel. And it's making its way to the poorest places in the world. I mean, I've been in, in Haiti. I know it's there. It's making its way to you know, Africa and India and the poorest places in the world. And what happens is these pastors become pastors, but they don't have the training that they need. And so they go out and they start finding resources and they listen to pastors on the radio. And the pastors on the radio are on the radio because they can afford to be on the radio and they're preaching health, wealth, and prosperity. A false gospel and these pastors just take it in and and feed it out again that's what teaching truth international does is they train pastors with the word of god but i want you to just think about how perverted it is how perverted and evil it is to tell someone in a third world country you can't feed their family to give the last bit of money that they have to a ministry so that through that faith, God can grow that faith and, and make them healthy and wealthy. And then what happens when that doesn't happen? Their faith is crushed. That's why we put our hope Jesus Christ. So discreditors and distorters, how do we combat them? Well, the, it's impossible to become a heresy expert. There are thousands of them and there are more coming all the time. But one thing that we can do is become a Bible expert. We can know the truth inside and out. We can know the Word inside and out so that we become so familiar with the Word that we can spot a false gospel or a false teaching a mile away. That's how we combat it. We need to give attention to false teachers. And we need to give attention to the superiority of the true gospel. Look at verses 10 and 12. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. The writer of Hebrews here is, com is comparing and contrasting two different altars, one from the Old Covenant and one from the New Covenant. The Old Covenant altar is the one that priests made sacrifices to atone for sin. The New altar is the cross where Jesus Christ died once and for all to pay the, sin the penalty for our sin once and for all. 
With the old altar, one of the ways that the priest w- would get paid is they, they uh, when they brought animals for sacrifice, a lot of the time they got to take a little bit, a part of that uh, meat with them, and the, the blood was used in the, the temple, and the rest of the body was uh, to be destroyed uh, outside the, um, the city. And so we, you can find all those in Leviticus uh, 16, all those, those laws. And so the atonement sacrifice had to be completely consumed outside the camp by fire. But there was one animal called the scapegoat. And we've heard that, that term before, the scapegoat. And the priest would put his hands on the head of the scapegoat. This was symbolically placing all the sins of Israel on the scapegoat. And the scapegoat was taken outside the city and it was sent into the wilderness. And that's a picture. That's an Old Testament picture. Look at verse 12. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through His own blood. The author of Hebrews here is saying Jesus is that scapegoat. That's what that was a picture of. He suffers outside the camp. He sheds His own blood for you and for me and for all. He is our altar. And this is the true gospel. And this is why we need to turn away from everything else. This is what this this whole uh, study is about, what the whole book of Hebrews is about. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. He's the better Adam. He's the better Moses. The high priest of a better covenant. He's the better Melchizedek. He's the better mountain. He is the better sacrifice. Jesus is better. Christ is superior to any Christless thing than we can put that we can put our hope in. Christ died as an offering for sin, for your sin, for my sin. And the wrath of God that was meant for us because of our sin. Instead of being poured out on us, it's poured out on Christ on the cross. Which means there is none left for us. No more sacrifices to be made. And it's not a result of anything that we have done. Which is why it, it breaks my heart when I see, when I have Mormons or Jehovah's Witness come to my door. Knocking on door after door after door. Because their hope is in their work. Now listen, I love their missional attitude and I love their work ethic. 
but it's not going to gain heaven for them. Salvation is found only in Christ. And Christian, if, if you are in Christ, this is to be your daily bread. And what do I mean by that? It, I mean, that this is what we feed ourselves with every single day. And it is Christ's work on the cross. And not our own. We couldn't survive bearing the weight of the full wrath of God. But Jesus did, and he was raised again, and in doing that, he paid the penalty for us. He atoned for us that way. And the author of Hebrews is saying that that that's the key to living the Christian life, that you understand who Jesus is and what he has done for you. That is our daily bread. Who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Tim Keller says it this way. The Christian gospel is that I am so flawed that Jesus had to die for me. Yet I am so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. This leads to deep humility and deep confidence at the same time. It undermines both swaggering and sniveling. I cannot feel superior to anyone, and yet I have nothing to prove to anyone. I do not think more of myself, nor less of myself. Instead, I think of myself less. So we need to give attention to the superiority of the true gospel. And finally, we need to give attention to the fact that we are outsiders. Look at verse 13 and 14. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Jesus is outside the camp bearing reproach. And that is our call as well. If we're outsiders, if, we're, if we are in Christ, we are outsiders. And if we are outsiders, that is going to cost us something. And the challenge that, that we as Christians have is, to, is constantly being tempted to believe that there's something that is better than Jesus. The world is, is constantly throwing things at us and saying this is better than Jesus. 
but Jesus is outside the camp. The priest of the Old Covenant would burn sacrifices on the altar. They would carry the remains outside the city. Jesus walked up a hill called Golgotha. Outside the gates of Jerusalem. And he offered himself up as a sacrifice. And the writer of Hebrews is is saying... Embrace that, that that's who we are. We are outsiders. Our Savior died on a cross outside the city gates. And Christian, what this should do for us is remind us that though we are in this world, this world is not our home. We await a new city a city of God's design. And we talked about this back in in chapter 11. Look Look at verse 15. Through Him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge His name. The sacrifice that we now offer is the sacrifice of ourselves, the sacrifice of our lives, and the sacrifice of our praise to Him. And then we see what the natural expression of this is if we look in verse 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. A natural expression of this kind of Praise, a natural expression of, of this um, understanding of who we are in Christ uh, should be a desire to meet the needs of others and a desire to do good. Now we do this as an outpouring. This is the fruit of our salvation, not the root of our salvation. This is an overflowing. And this kind of living, this kind of life, And praise to Him brings glory to God. And it shows the world that there's something different. It shows the world that there's something unique. There's something special. And our prayer as as elders is, is that God would make our congregation like this. That, that this is what Nolansville would say about Providence Baptist Church. Those people always have thanks for the Lord on their hearts and on their lips. They're always doing good for others. They're, they're very generous people. But more importantly than the world saying that about us, is we want our Heavenly Father to take pleasure in the things that we are doing. Let us be about His business. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we pray that you would make us thankful people. Constantly and continually doing good to one another and doing good to our community. And sharing generously what you so graciously have given us. That we would have a heart for those in need. And Father, I pray that as we make our way through this world, Father, that we would, you would give us a discernment for things that are false, for things that are attempting to lead us astray. Father, that you would give us a, uh, an understanding of the true word so that we may not be led astray by what is false. And Father, just give us a, a renewed love for the true gospel. And let us preach that to ourselves often. Lord, we thank you. Lord, as we stand and, and worship, Father, I, I pray that you would help us as we sing this song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. You would help us to truly remember how faithful you are. And we give you thanks. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.